Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for being so incredibly good. God, I thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace and, Lord, truly mercy without measure. I thank you for loving us in spite of us. God, I thank you for, for our brother Jeff being here tonight, God, to, to share a word with us and to, Lord, just to share what you're doing abroad, Lord, and, and all, the, all the many things. God, thank you so much for allowing us to serve you. Thank you that we can come together, brothers and sisters in Christ, under the precious blood of Jesus. You've been good to us, Father. We just want to be careful to give you praise, honor, and glory. We love you. We thank you in the precious, sweet name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So Tim texted me that he was stuck on an insurance call in his business, and he's running a little late. So one of y'all want to lead in some singing? Then, Brother Jeff, you just gained a whole lot more time. If you want to come on up, we uh, we usually do a couple of old hymns with the piano right now, but but the pianist ain't here, and I can't play a piano, and the singer ain't here, and I can sing, but ain't nobody going to like it. <laughs> sure, it's a pleasure to have you, brother. Well, thank you, Pastor. Good to be here. Well, what a blessing to be here with you all this evening. Uh, my name is Jeff Carney, and we have been an extension of your missionary family for many years, and uh, we're in the midst of making some changes and uh, moving ahead with a new mission organization that we just launched last Thursday. And so I wanted to come by while I was here local and just kind of bring you guys up to speed on everything that God is doing uh, with the Carney family as we continue to serve in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico and as well in the island of Jamaica and in the Middle East where we're doing some church planting uh, in Egypt, Dubai, Dubai and, and Sudan. So it's just exciting to see how God is at work and how he's continuing to use us uh, to advance the gospel in various parts of the world. When I think of myself, I always think of this verse, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. When I was just a little boy, I remember sitting in Pennsylvania where my dad was a pastor and, and sitting in missions conferences and I remember it being an exciting thing. They always had the International Supper where everybody would bring in their, their food. And, of course, you know, as a young boy, I would just find pizzas or hamburgers or hot dogs, you know, as a good old American boy. Uh, but I remember at a young age being introduced to missions. When I turned 15, there was a missions conference at our church. And at that missions conference at the church, as the speaker was speaking... At the close of the service, my dad goes to the front. Well, that's nothing out of the normal. I mean, he's a pastor. And he went forward and he talked to the speaker and said something in his ear. And then as the musicians quit playing, at the front of the church, Dr. Ray Thompson was standing there beside my dad. And he said, Pastor Carney has come forward this morning because he's willing to go to the mission field. My dad interrupted him and said, no, I've been willing to go for a long time. I'm going to the Bishopville. Now, here I am, you know, a 15-year-old kid sitting in the auditorium, and that is how I found out that my dad was going to be a missionary. Well, I have a lot of brothers and sisters, Julie, Jeff, Jill, Jenny, Janice, Joel, James, Joanna, John. There's nine of us. And my dad brought us back into his office in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, Arnold Palmer's hometown, brought us into his office and said this to me. I was the oldest boy. Jeff, what do you think about what I just said about going to the mission field? 
And I looked at my dad and said, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. I am never going to go to the mission field. Well, irony is God has a sense of humor because now I've been living there for 25 years. And so when I say to you that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, I have seen that take place in my own life and in my own spiritual journey as God has continued in his grace to work and his patience to work with us, teaching us and coming alongside of us and guiding and directing us so that we can continue to expand the cause of Christ around the world. What I'd like to do now, if I can, I have a video that I'd like to show you and then I can continue spending some time here in front. I've been given a lot of time to talk with you this evening. Being a missionary in the Yucatan is much more than a job. It is an adventure, an adventure in doing life together with the Mayan people. I was at the radio property the other day and I sat down, opened my Bible, and I turned to Isaiah 42:11 and talk about let the inhabitants of the rock sing. If you know anything about the Yucatan, it's built on a limestone shelf and there are rocks everywhere. But when I think about that passage of scripture in Isaiah, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. We want to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Mayan villages and we want Jesus to put a new song in their mouths. We want change to take place, yes, and churches to be planted, but we want homes to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Elizabeth and I love serving in the Yucatan because every day, quite frankly, is a surprise. We show up at a village thinking that we're going to do A, B, and C, and God redirects and we end up going in another direction. It's exciting to have a front row seat, seeing God at work in the lives of people, and doors continue to open up for the gospel. We are so excited about what God is doing with Reach Ministries in the Yucatan Peninsula relationships. They're crucial for us to see the gospel go forward. As we've been in missions now for several decades, one of the things that we've learned and are continuing, quite frankly, to learn is how important it is to take the time to build relationships. And then when we have that relationship, it gives us a platform. It gives us an opportunity to sit down over tacos, to sit down over a, a meal and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what really touches our heart is when we go into a new village, we show up, we meet the mayor, we're handing out corn or we're doing an eyeglass clinic and they just give us free reign to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go into a public school and they'll bring all the kids out and sit them on the, on the court and they're sitting there listening to us. And I counted at one school over 300 students and just a great opportunity to show them the love of Jesus Christ and continue to build relationships with them empowering nationals, not enabling them, empowering them. In the beginning of our time in missions, when we got to the field, we would do quite frankly everything. We were involved in doing all the planning, all the preaching, 
Uh, if it needed done, we were the ones doing it. And now we're taking a back row seat. Now, literally, we're fine to be in the shadows, pushing the nationals to the front, giving them the tools that they need so they can advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Recently, uh, we started showing the Jesus film. And so now we've got a, bought another projector, we've bought another sound system, and we've put that in the hands of Pastor Luis. So it's not just us showing the Jesus film. We're coming alongside of him, helping him to move ahead in, in the villages where he is serving. Accountability that matters. As we partner with the national pastors, we don't want to keep them on a short string or under our thumb. We want to be behind them. We want to be beside them. But we want to give them accountability that matters so they can continue to move ahead. So for us, it's crucial uh, to have pastors' conferences. It's crucial for us uh, to have regular communication with our national pastors. It's necessary for us to sit down and talk with them about how crucial and important their relationship with their wife and their relationship with their children is and how they're handling their finances. So many things that to us are necessary so that that pastor can minister, have a good rapport and do what he needs to do with the gospel. We're doing so much on a social level, but that C is church planting. We want to see churches planted that are going to feed their soul. We want to see churches established that are going to aid these national pastors in continuing to have a presence. Right now, I have more places, we have more places that we can plant a church than we have national pastors that can go there. But we're excited to see the gospel taking root in Tatsibi Chin with Pastor Antonio. We're excited to see the, the work in Chimai continue to move ahead. We're excited to see now Pastor Luis branch out and go to other villages. But San Pedro, Wechimbalam, Tinunca, these are places where right now we need to plant a church, a church that can come in and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but bring life and change that community. Help. We want to bring health to these villages. We want people literally to drive into a village and say, what is different here? Well, the gospel is making a change. Jesus is making a difference. So we partnered with the mayor at Tatsibi Chin and we put in a new town dump. And then we went into the schools and we talked with the kids about not throwing their trash down. And we put up uh, banners around town so they would know the importance of using the new trash dump. This is just a small way that we're looking to bring help to the communities. We have eyeglass clinics. Uh, we have uh, doctors that come in to treat people. We do baseball camps and softball camps. We're excited to see the radio building completed and excited to see plans being laid for the radio transmission to begin. The batting cages are installed. The radio property, how it's going to be developed with the gospel trail where people, when they come to us, literally we're going to be able to walk them through a presentation of the gospel. These are just ways that we want to bring health. We want to bring life. We want to bring change in the gospel of Jesus Christ to these villages in the Yucatan Peninsula. We are so excited about everything that God is doing in the Yucatan. I'm so excited about seeing our reach continue to expand from Tatsibi Chin and touch these other villages all 
around. There's over 30 villages where we have right now an opportunity to go in, whether it's giving out corn, whether it's working with the ladies in their softball team, whether it's going into the school and teaching English, whether it's doing a baseball clinic. Uh, just the opportunities are endless for us uh, to continue to advance the gospel, to continue to build relationship, to partner with these national pastors, pushing them to the front, laying a foundation upon which they can continue to build so churches can be established and that whole community and that whole region can be touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends that know me, when they talk about me in missions, they often say this, Jeff, you're like, where's Waldo? We're trying to follow, where are you at? What are you doing now? And it's, it's exciting to us, invigorating to us, that God is giving us the opportunity to exponentially expand the gospel and, and make disciples and plant churches. So we intentionally, in this video, just focused on Yucatan. That's where we're boots on the ground. I go back there in a couple days and going to be there for a pastor's conference, have 12 pastors coming in in the mine villages. Actually, we said we had those 30-some villages that we're ministering in. That's up to 66, equal to the books of the Bible now. And so, obviously, have a lot that's going on there in the Yucatan. Uh, but God has given us the opportunity to be with the Noah's Ark Children's Home in Martha Bray, Jamaica. It's an orphanage that's there in, in, in Jamaica. He's also given us the opportunity to work in the Middle East. And you say, how in the world does a missionary in Latin America, in, in Mayan culture, how does it, the door open for you to be in Jamaica and for you to be in the Middle East as well? That's a very good question and one I've not actually been able to wrap my mind around, except for the fact that God has just given us those opportunities. So for years, we've been with BIMI, Baptist International Missions Incorporated out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And last Thursday, uh, we, I went in and actually handed in our resignation and we literally just launched Reach Missions. You are the second church that I have presented uh, Reach Missions to in our desire to continue to move ahead, uh, being good stewards of the opportunities that God has given us. So we're excited about the future. I go to Jamaica the end of March, actually fly there from the Yucatan. I'm uh, going to go down to the first week of spring break. There's two weeks of spring breaks in uh, the Yucatan in Mexico. So that first week, I'm actually going to go to Jamaica, be there about 10 days. We just hired Dylan Fowler uh, to be the director of the Noah's Ark Children's Home in Martha Bray, Jamaica. And at the same time that he's come on board to help us with a tremendous need there with the boys' home, he is interested in probing the water to see about what God will do with him as it relates to maybe even planting a church. And so we want to plant a church there. That's a desire of our heart to put one in that community. So I'm actually going in today. One of the, uh, the youth pastor at a church in McDonough gave me a, a, a group of books in uh, a pack of books or a pile of books, excuse me, in in English, and I'm going to be able to put those in Dylan's hand and just kind of encourage him and begin to work with him as it relates to having more of a spiritual impact, making that impact in that community. Going to uh, Cairo, this will be my third trip to Cairo, the end of May, beginning of June, and we're going to do a pastor's conference for 32 pastors and their wives. And this pastor's conference is very unique because it's actually a marriage conference. So our desire is to provide fill the gap 
uh, instruction and encouragement to these pastors so they can move ahead with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why a marriage conference? Well, we want to teach them that if your home is not strong, your ministry can never be strong. And that they cannot sacrifice their family on the altar of ministry. They need to be faithful to God in the church, but faithful to God at home as husbands, wives, and as parents. And so we're really excited about this opportunity in Egypt to partner with them and continue to help them. Egypt is a unique open door uh, because the government actually is coming to us and saying, here's a piece of property, we'll give it to you. If you put a church there, you can have it. So last March, we sent $25,000 and planted one church. Uh, we're getting ready to send in, once the money is given, $10,000 to plant another church. And they just ask us that we don't, in our videos, that we don't say that Egypt is persecuted because the current president in Egypt says Egypt for all Egyptians, and they're more open to outsiders and non-Muslim, Islamic, uh, faith-based groups than they've ever been before. And so we have a unique open door to continue to see the gospel spread there. I went to Cairo on my first visit to Cairo a couple years ago during COVID. And I went to Cairo. We were there and then we flew to Dubai. We went to Dubai to visit with one of the national pastors who was in Cairo but then got tra uh, transferred to Dubai working, and he started a church in the bottom of a hotel. Now, I want you to listen to this. Some people complain. I'm not picking or being snarky or sarcastic, but some people complain if the pastor goes five or ten minutes late on a Sunday morning. We sat in that church service for six hours. Did you hear me? Six hours. Yeah, that's a long service especially when you don't understand Arabic and you're kind of lost as to what's going on. End of that service, these, all these men come forward and I'm just assuming, well, these are Muslim men that came to Christ and now they're rededicating their life. No, they were, they were Muslim men who weren't believers and 13 of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we get back to Cairo and we sit down with the, the, the pastor who's like the president of the Evangelical Association of Churches in Egypt. Now, evangelical takes on a different connotation here than it does on the mission field. In Mexico, if you're not Catholic, you're, 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 you're evangelical. There, all the churches have to be under that umbrella with the government or we can't send money in, we can't have any communication with them and have the blessing of the government doing what we're doing. So I sat down with this pastor. He's a pastor of a Baptist church. And I said, hey, how many churches can we plant in the next year if we have the funding? He said, 25. So what an opportunity is ours to partner with them, to encourage them, to come alongside them. So for six years, I've been in the Yucatan, I've been in the Yucatan for 25 years, but for six years, we have been working as consultants for global advancement with Mediterranean Baptist missions in the Middle East, with Jamaica, the Noah's Ark Children's Home, and last week, we started REACH missions, and so that's the umbrella at the top, and then all these other organizations, mission organizations, 5013Cs, are going to fall underneath that. So I covet your prayers as we are knee-deep in mud with flip-flops on. Uh, we've got a lot of different things that are occurring right now, but man, God is just blessing mightily, opening doors uh, so that we can continue to see people come to Christ. We can continue to see these global partners, these pastors, see them in the front, see them be the ones that are moving ahead uh, with the gospel. There's in the pitch, in the, in some of the pictures, in the videos that were in the, in that video, 
It shows some people, a husband and wife team, pastor and his wife, cutting the ribbon. Did you, did you see that in the, in the palapa? That's the centerpiece of the radio property. So last year, a year ago January, we dedicated the palapa. Had a work team come down from Ohio. I used to run a tree business, and so the guy that taught me how to do tree work lives in Mansfield, Ohio, and he brings down these group of ex-Amish guys. I was talking with... Uh, Brother Noel, at supper tonight, you talk about working you to you can't move anymore. And I'm telling you, those ex-Amish guys will get it done. And so he brings them in. We did it. We lay the floor in the palapa. We, they put the stairs in. We did some other things there in the radio property. But on that Sunday, we had that special dedication. So my wife says, I said to the national pastors, I said, listen, you're going to do the entire service. You're going to plan it. You're going to orchestrate it. I don't care if you even refer to me. I'm just going to take pictures. You guys do what you need to do. And they said, are you sure? I said, I'm positive. You guys do it. So they laid out the music. They laid out the order of service. They laid out the presentation of the governor who was there because the Mexican government gave us the, the property. And so we're thanking them and, you know, the, all the political stuff that you do. And so they did all that, right? Well, it came time to cut the ribbon and they cut the ribbon. And my wife said to me later on, she goes, I just don't understand why you and Tim, Tim is a ministry partner, owns an insurance company up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he just helps us extensively in the Yucatan, and now he's the treasurer for, for Reach Missions. She goes, I don't know why you guys have been out there working. I mean, I don't even see you for sometimes six days at a time as you're sleeping out in the hammock and working out in the villages. Why wouldn't you have cut the ribbon? And I said, well, I actually never even thought about it. But I guess God orchestrated that because it's just another way to prove it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about pushing them to the front. And it's about us being 100% content not to be known, not to be remembered, but for the name of Jesus Christ to be remembered. And for those churches and those national partners to receive what they need to move ahead with the gospel. Hey, before I get into the message, I wanted to share this. Uh, Mother Noah was telling me about the, uh, your, what you guys do in the fall with the, with the judgment journey. Well, we have something, oh, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. It is nowhere near to what you guys are doing with the judgment journey. It sounds to me like you guys are in partnership with the Kendrick brothers on your level, what you guys are doing. He told me it's pretty fascinating, pretty neat, pretty awesome what God is using you all to do. But at the radio property, a key portion of the radio property is the gospel trail. So what's the gospel trail? Well, the gospel trail is our way of working with people that come to us. So the batting cages are for the boys, the men that play baseball. They're also for the ladies that play softball. They can come free of charge to us from all these 66 different mine villages, and they can use that batting cage. Well, then when they're done using the batting cage, we can walk up to the Palapa because it's always hot there. The sun is, is very warm in the Yucatan, but they can go up there. We can give them something to eat. We're going to have a fire pit there where we can, you know, make food with them, hot dogs or tacos, whatever, just a way to build relationships with them. But then we can literally walk them through a presentation of the gospel. So as you walk out of the Palapa, you just take maybe about 10 or 15 steps and you come to two trees. One's a mango tree and the other is a tree that they actually use to put the covering, the straw roof covering on your roof. It's called a wano tree. And so we're going to take them there and talk to them about two trees in the Garden of Eden, right? And start to unpack for them what went 
amiss with mankind in the Garden of Eden. Then from there, we're going to walk them over to the batting cage. And when we get to the batting cage, we're going to tell them, hey, listen, you guys love baseball here in the Yucatan. I know most people think, well, Mexico, they love soccer. They do, but boy, they love baseball in the Yucatan. And you know, the, it's three strikes and you're out. Well, that's the same way with God. You see, we sin because we choose to. We sin because we're connected to our parents, but we sin because of direct linkage between us and our parents and Adam and Eve. So talk to them about sin and how it came into the world. Walk around behind the batting cage. And when we walk around behind the batting cage, we're going to go to Golgotha. Now, the Bible tells us it's the place of the skull. If you know anything about uh, Latin culture, they're fascinated with death. That's why All Souls Day and before that you have Day of the Dead. Uh, end of October, which is our Halloween, but it's, it's different for them. But they're fascinated with it. And so actually having skulls there with the cross coming out of them, not done in a, what we'd say in, in Spanish, brucho, not done in a cheap way, but done in a great way to represent what took place at Calvary. And then from there, we walk over, we dug out this huge stone that we found underneath the roots of a tree when we were developing the radio property. And we took that stone and we propped it up and it's still there. And now we're going to use that stone, cut it out and actually have a, a stone that's going to be there for the empty tomb. And then from the tomb, we're going to come over back to the entrance to the radio property that shoots straight up to the Palapa. And that's called the Road to Emmaus. And we're literally just going to walk with these people and unpack for them what it means to know Jesus as friend, Savior, and Lord. So man, we're thrilled about what God is doing there and how he is continuing to open up these doors. And I, I just want to be plain right now. If you're thinking in your mind, wow, they've really had a good plan of attack. You need to understand this was not in our plans. Our plan five or six years ago was to get out of missions and transition to a, a position of executive pastor. We actually met with several churches about that role. And God at the last moment shut that door. And, and you know, my wife said to me in the one conversation, did you ever feel like nobody wants us? I go, well, I don't know, honey, that's not really, really encouraging to think like that. But, you know, I don't know why these doors have closed. Well, we know now why the doors have closed. Because God has opened them wide for us to continue making an impact there in the Yucatan, making an impact in Jamaica, making an impact in, uh, in Egypt, in Sudan, and in Dubai. And now we just talked to another missionary uh, about partnership in other places in Africa. It's just neat, humbling, but also inspiring to see what God is doing. And by the way, that's because of churches like you that partner with us in prayer and that partner with us financially so we can continue to do what God has called us to do. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. I was told this is the most spiritual church in all the world. Pastor Yancey said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you can speak till 930. He, it don't matter. He goes, we're here. He goes, but everybody's leaving at 8 o'clock. So you guys get with me, and we're going to jump into this right now. Matthew 16, 18. Now, the word myth, how does Webster define the word myth? He defines the word myth as any invented story, idea, or concept, an imaginary or fictitious thing or person, an unproved or false collection belief that is used to justify a social institution. Myth. Now, in the Yucatan, I regularly bike ride through a town that's called Chicxulub. Chicxulub. That's not a cuss word. Okay, it's the name of a town. Chicxulub. Now, 
Scientists assert that some 65 million years ago, a large meteor landed here. They say that the crater that this meteor made was more than 110 miles in diameter. They continue to teach that the meteor's estimated size was about six miles in diameter and released energy equivalent to 100 million megatons of TNT on impact. Now, let's put that in context. The most powerful man-made explosive device ever detonated had a yield of only 50 megatons. So that would have made, obviously it's a myth, it didn't happen, but that would have made this supposed meteor that hit there two million times more powerful. Now, interesting thing about Chicxulub, if you go into the town square as you bike through there, uh, just back in the month of January, Tim and I were riding, riding our bikes through there. We stop, there's a store, we always go in and we get our Powerade and get a little something and continue down the road. Usually it's like on a 30, 35 mile bike ride that we like to do in that, in that part of the Yucatan. And so when you go into that store, right in front of that store, there is a rock in the center of town that's like on this like pedestal. And they're saying this is part of the meteor. Well, it's not part of the meteor. <laughs> it's just a rock that they put there. But they're telling people, hey, this really happened. They believe it. By the way, scientists say that's the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. But interestingly enough, it did not kill any frogs. It left all the frogs untouched. But the scientists say it killed the dinosaurs. Well, I want to talk to you about some myths with the church. There's some myths that are existing today with the church. Number one, the church is merely a human organization. That's a myth. But people say, hey, its head is Peter and is built upon the human foundation of the apostles and the early church fathers. Listen to what one author said. Too often Christians have divorced the spiritual, heavenly, invisible, and eternal church from its physical, earthly, visible, and historical manifestation. The result has been to treat local visible churches as merely human organization and has caused Christians to treat their churches as they treat any other human organization, like a political party or club. Well, that's a myth that the church is merely a human organization. But another myth, the church is a supermarket for spiritual groceries. Therefore, church shopping, hopping, and dropping, well, it's permissible. Another author said, our supermarket mentality and the plethora of differing churches make our modern situation both unique and dangerous. He goes on to say, we never seem to find just the right church. And this dissatisfaction can lead to a never-ending church shopping spree. Another myth, number three, the church is any gathering of a few believers. In other words, the church can be defined as any group of believers who are studying the Bible or praying together. Well, a Bible study is not a church. It's a Bible study. Getting together in the home for prayer is not a church. It's a prayer meeting. A group of Christians with a guitar and tambourine is not a church, it's a sing-along. A gathering of saints for eating and gossiping is not a church, it's a party. It doesn't mean the church can't be in a house studying the Bible. It doesn't mean the church can't be in the house praying. But sometimes people believe anytime believers get together, that's a church. Another myth is the church is optional. I mean, if you attend the big two, Christmas and Easter, you're good to go. Some have been missled. One author said, into thinking that their spiritual health depends entirely on a direct personal relation with, 
relationship with God. However, to grow in Christ, believers need each other. God gave us our individual spiritual gifts for the growth of the community. We must reject the idea that balanced spiritual growth can occur outside of a covenant community or covenant commitment to an authentic local church. I see the impact of this myth of science regularly in the Yucatan. And we can see the impact that this me, these myths that many people embrace today about the church, how it's dangerous and how it's causing problems, not only in America, but around the world. So I want to just speak to you quickly about the ABC building blocks of a healthy church. I'm not a real intelligent person, so ABCs, well, that just kind of helps me stay on track and, and tracking. ABC building blocks of a healthy church. You're with me in Matthew 16, verse 18. In the New Testament, the word ecclesia is the word from which we derive church. An ecclesia means a called out assembly, a Christian community of members on earth or saints in heaven or both. Now, it is used some 117 times in the New Testament. It is translated as church 115 times and is translated as assembly two times. However, some 90 times when it is used in the New Testament, it refers to a local church an individual church that has members and leadership just like Faith Baptist. Matthew 16, 18 is the first time the word church is found in Scripture. Revelation 22, 16 records the last usage of church. In Matthew 16, 18, with only just a few words, we find clearly a description about the ABC building blocks of a local church. This is a cross-cultural blueprint that worked in the early church and it can still work today as we advance the cause of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here in LaGrange. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people that are here present. Thank you for the people who aren't here present, who are ministering around the church property this evening with children in other areas. I pray your deepest, richest blessings upon them. Thank you for a church that is committed to working together to reach others with the gospel. I pray as we turn our attention towards your word that you would illuminate our hearts by your truth and you'd help us not just to have sound orthodoxy, sound doctrine, but you'd help our orthopraxy, how we live and carry out doctrine, how we live and apply your truth from scripture. Help it to transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So A, remember this is ABCs, right? A, remember who God uses to assemble the church. Remember who God uses to assemble the church. What does Matthew 16, 18 say to us? It says, it uses the word, what? Peter. Look with me here, 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art who? Peter. Do you know who God uses to build the church? Flawed human beings. Imperfect individuals. People that miss the mark. People who many times don't have bragging rights about what they've said, done, and thought.
people like Jeff Carney and people like you. Now, what about Peter? Well, he was a blue-collar workman, knew how to work with his hands. He was a fisherman. Remember, he caught all those fish and drugged the net to shore by himself. Sure, he was a pretty stout guy. He was also a man who knew how to open his mouth and insert his foot. He was just a good old husband, right? Just like the rest of us. He was a man who struggled to pray. Remember, he was asleep when Jesus was praying. He was a man who was ashamed to follow Jesus when the pressure was turned on. He was a man who was armed and dangerous. Remember, he pulled out his sword and whacked off the guy's ear. I mean, if he was here today, he, he would have a six hour. He would be packing. That was Peter. He was a man who denied his Lord and cursed like a sailor. And he was a man who was guilty of hypocrisy. In the book of Galatians, Paul had to withstand him to the face because of his hypocrisy. So we're not trying to judge Peter and make ourselves look better because of him. We're trying to level the playing field and realize these are the type of individuals that God chooses to use to assemble his church. People like Peter, people like me, people like you. Morrison said the Christian church is a society of sinners. He said it's the only society in the world in which membership is based upon the single qualification that the candidate is unworthy for membership. We would be wise to remember that. We are unworthy to be part of the body of Christ. We are unworthy to be called the bride of Christ. God used men who were often controlled by the flesh, lied, denied him, were uneducated, disliked prayer, had little faith, thought more of themselves than they did of others, and who forsook him in his hour of need. But wait, let's remember, who he still uses to build his church, who he still uses to assemble his church. People like us who often walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. People like us who struggle to pray and read his word consistently. People like us who walk by sight and not by faith. People like us who often see others as an inconvenience instead of as a soul who desperately needs Jesus. People like us who know full well that we have been guilty many times of being ashamed of his gospel. Yount said this in his book on youth. He said, how could God use men like doubting Thomas and Petrus Peter or revengeful James and John? He could use them because all of they were imperfect, slow to learn, self-centered, theologically uneducated and unprofessional. Unprofessional, they had a teachable spirit. They had a teachable spirit. Remember that verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 27? But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God has chosen the weak things of this world to confine things which are mighty. Now, Acts 4.13 tells us something else about who he uses to assemble the church. He uses men like Peter who were uneducated. Uneducated. When they went up to the temple to pray and they healed the man and, and, they, were, and they were taken and they had to give an account of their action to the religious rulers, the Pharisees, Sadducees of that day, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and they remarked, these are men without letters. These are men without formal education and look what they're doing. They're turning the world upside down for Christ. 
The mission statement for Reach Missions is Reach Missions ignites relationships that opens doors to the gospel, empowering global partners with accountability to plant thriving churches and bring transformative health to communities, extending change beyond our reach. A crucial component is our partnership with global partners, these pastors. So as we work with some of these guys in the Mayan village that don't have higher than an eighth grade education, does that mean they're not candidates to be pastors if God calls them? Absolutely not. What do we do? Well, as we work with them, we teach them an inductive Bible study and intercessory prayer and being controlled by the Holy Spirit must be their consuming desire. Because you see, that will carry them all the way home. We lay a foundation upon which they can continue to build upon in the future. That's our steadfast commitment. So next week I have two pastors coming in from Atlanta. Uh, beginning of March, two pastors coming in from Atlanta. I have my brother Joel coming down from Ohio. My parents coming back to the mission field in March. And we're going to do this pastor's conference. And we're literally going to talk with them about the first verse in Acts. Where it says, these things both Jesus began to do and teach. Teaching pastors, we do not have the authority to teach it unless we're practicing it. And coming alongside and let them know, we've got to show our people, we're not delegating to them leading people to Christ. We're not delegating them the joy of making disciples. We're participating. We're leading the charge with them. So laying that foundation upon which they continue to build upon the future and advancing their education through ongoing fill-the-gap training conferences that occupy our calendar. Beecher said the church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians. It is a school for the education of imperfect ones. I do not like people that know it all because I can't relate. I can't relate. I am a student and I am wanting to continue to learn. You would think 25 years in missions, a quarter of a century. This guy has a lot to unpack. I have so much to learn as it relates to being on mission. I have so much to learn as it relates to partnering with them and helping them so that our legacy far exceeds our short time here on earth. A, who God uses to assemble it. B, remember who the church belongs to. Now it says this, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build, what are those two words? My church. Let's remember who the church belongs to. Have you ever caught yourself saying, my church? Right? I heard a missionary the other day said this. He goes, I like to lord over my national pastors. Well, that's a problem because number one, they're not his. And number two, he's not supposed to be lording over them. Sometimes we don't correctly understand our position. And sometimes our ego can get in the way. You know what a big shot is? How many know what a big shot is? A big shot's a little shot a long way from home. That's all it is. And sadly, in ministry, in missions, we have a lot of people who think they're big shots. We need to remember and bring ourselves back down to earth by remembering who the church belongs to. It's his church. The Bible is clear that even though God uses men, there's a lot of miscommunication about this passage of Scripture with the universal church. By the way, universal church is another way of saying the Catholic church. The word Catholic means universal. 
And so there's miscommunication because they say Matthew 16, 18 shows a direct succession between the first pope, Peter, and every other pope that follows. They say the church is built upon them. It's not. It's built upon Jesus Christ. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.20 clarifies this because it says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, you say, wait, wait. It says right there, but wait. It says Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. There is no doubt that God uses fallible men to assemble his church, but his church is built upon and belongs to the pure and solid cornerstone of our friend, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul, again, affirmed this. In 1 Corinthians, when he said, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In the Encyclopedia Britannica, 13th edition of church history, this is a little lengthy, but listen to this. The most notable thing about the life of the early Christians was their vivid sense of being a people of God, God called and set apart. The Christian church, in their thought, was a divine not human institution. It was founded and controlled by God, and even the world was created for its sake. This conception controlled all the life of the early Christians, both individual and social. They regarded themselves as separate from the rest of the world and bound together by peculiar ties. Their citizenship was in heaven, not in earth, and the principles and laws by which they strove to govern themselves were from above. The present world was but temporary and their true life was in the future. Christ was soon to return and the employments and labors and pleasures of this age were of small concern. In the everyday life of Christians, the Holy Spirit was present. And all the Christians' inspirational character was a fruit of the Spirit. Theirs was not the everyday experience of ordinary men but of men lifted out of themselves and transported into a higher spirit. Why? Because they recognized who God uses to assemble the church, but who it belonged to. It had nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about him. The churches that have been planted and will be planted in the future in the Yucatan, in Jamaica, and continue to be advanced in the 1040 region of the world, Egypt, in the, in the Mediterranean area. Well, they are not ours, they never have been, and they never will be. The pastors who lead these churches, they are not ours. They are not our national pastors. They belong to Christ. They're his. Our use of the title global partners in reach missions is our way of showing that we don't lord over pastors or congregations. They are not under our thumb. They are not on a short string. We have a shared friendship and partnership with them in following Christ together in advancing his church. Winter and Hawthorne said this, the church belongs to no human person. And church growth must be growth in the numbers of disciples of Jesus, not proselytism to expand someone's earthly kingdom. ABC building blocks of the church. Who he uses to assemble it who it belongs to, but then lastly, remember what the church is constructed upon. I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. The word Petros is a piece of a rock. It's like Peter, he's just a little stone, a little pebble. 
while the word Petra is the rock. The church is not built upon the little stone Peter. The, stone, the, the church is constructed upon the major rock outcropping, upon the foundation Jesus Christ. The church is built upon sound biblical doctrine. It is built upon the solid rock foundation of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. By the doctrine and work of Jesus Christ, we mean his life, his death, his resurrection, the witness, suffering of his disciples, the deliverance of his gospel, and the multiplication of radical disciples who are governed by orthodoxy. That's just another way of saying our doctrine and orthopraxy. That means we don't just say this. This is how we're living it out. These things both Jesus began to do and teach, as Acts 1.1 says. This is interesting. You know the death of Christ occupies 30% of Matthew, 37% of Mark, 25% of Luke, and 41% of the book of John. How important it is for us to actually die to ourselves and recognize that many times we're just in God's way. And God wants to use us to assemble the church, but I tell you, he can't do that if we're just promoting our own agenda. He can't do that if we're all caught up in who we think we are and who everybody else thinks they need to be like us. There was a pastor years ago, he's passed away, and when he would preach, he had this idiosyncrasy that he would cough. And so a lot of the preacher boys that studied under him, when they preached, they didn't have anything in their throat, but they'd cough because he coughed. Well, we're not supposed to be mimicking men. We're supposed to be following Jesus Christ. And by the way, we want to give these national, these global partners, we want to give them an example to follow, but man, we're fallible. And so we can and will let them down, but you know who will never let them down? Jesus you know who needs to be their hero? Not Jeff, not some other missionary, Jesus Christ. One author said this, we are not called as judge either of God whose ways we do not fully know, nor of man whose destiny we are not called upon to settle. We are to find the lost and point them to Jesus. To Jesus. Helen Keller said this, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. In the church today, many times people like to pawn off things on the pastor, on the deacons, on the leadership at the church. But you know what? We're supposed to be all in this together. <laughs> We're not called to share the gospel because we're in full-time Christian service. We're called to share the gospel because we're Christ followers, right? Every one of us is called. It's not a spiritual gift. It's what we're all called to do. And we're supposed to participate together with our distinct and diverse spiritual gifts, coming together as the body to build up his church. So as we close out, as I close out speaking with you this evening, let me give you three prayer requests. Remember, this is the second church that I've been in. I'm going to be in one church in Winchester, Kentucky next weekend, and then I'm back to the Yucatan. But leaping in prayer. These are our prayer requests, and they probably don't represent great faith, but we're trying to push ourselves. We need 50 new ministry partners the first quarter of this year. Well, we're already halfway through February, or more than halfway through February. So by the end of March, we need to have 50 new ministry partners. Why? 
Well, as we make this change in missions, we have some churches that will part ways with us. Not because we had a falling out, but just because, you know, they decided not to partner with us as we left from BIMI and came to Reach Missions. That's just part of it. But besides that, we immediately inherit two other ministries. Last year, we were $20,000 in the red in in Jamaica, and now we have these national pastors, $130 a clip that we're supporting in uh, Egypt, and we have some others from Sudan that we'd like to add. So we just need money to come in for operating expenses of the mission, but also to exponentially push forward with the gospel. Billy Graham said this, asking for money in Christian circles is like milking the cows. You got to do it twice a day. So the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So I want to leap in prayer and ask God for 50 new ministry partners between January and the end of March. Second prayer request, 1,000 professions of faith in this reach missions inaugural year. I, I battled with that when I thought, am I setting that too low? You know, is that, you know, does that just reveal a lack of faith on my part? But you know what? We don't have that set for numbers sake. We have that number set for the soul's sake. What does the profit of man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Will you pray with us this year, our inaugural year, that we'll see 1,000 professions of faith? And then we need $10,000 to plant another church in Cairo, Egypt. Very unique, I told you. The government comes to us, said, here's the property. You can have it, but you got to build a building. And once you build the building, it's yours. We're not flying under the radar. Uh, they know exactly who we are, what we're doing. And so right now, we are looking to raise $10,000 for that church there in Cairo, Egypt. Again, it's a privilege to be connected with your church. Thank you for giving me the opportunity this evening to walk you through what is happening in our family and ministry, what is happening as a response uh, of your active participation with the Jeff Carney family in the Yucatan, but also around the world. I'm going to be at the close uh, at the close of the service, I'm going to be at my table in the back. If you'd like to come by and get one of the cards so you could partner with our family, please do so. And the screen, the shot that was up here about signing up for our prayer letters, we just want to have as many people sign up for our news updates as possible because it's a way for you to know what God is doing through you. And it's also a way for you to partner with us in prayer. Continue to hold the ropes as we move ahead with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are so merciful and gracious to each and every one of us. We have failed you more times than we can count. But we know that you are faithful to forgive, and to pick us up, to restore just like you did with Peter so that you can use us to assemble your church. Help us to remember who it belongs to and that it's constructed upon sound doctrine, sound doctrine that you embodied, sound doctrine that you want us to communicate to others. Thank you for your blessing in our family. Thank you for your protection. And thank you for the doors you're opening up with the gospel. Help us to be good stewards, but help us to be aggressive, passionate about moving ahead with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome, awesome message. Uh, I'm glad the parents got to spend some time with the kids and do the races today, but I really hate we had so many people down there because they missed an amazing message. Um, awesome job. So I want to just real quick, he'll be at the table. You can get with Jeff and you can, you can get with him if you, you want to help in any one of those ways and sign up. I just want to simplify it for you. If you want to do it through the church, it's just as easy. You can do it every month. Um, we'll send him a support check every month. Anyway, you can put anything in on your envelope where it says other, 
Um, and how you want to put it and put Jeff Carney on that, whatever you put it in the envelope. So you can do that monthly. You can add to his monthly support that we send out. You can reach to one of these missions. Or you can become one of these partners that they're asking for. And by all means, you know, you can pray for them. But any of that stuff you can do through faith, um, through your regular missions, just putting it in if you want to set it up. And, you know, when you do online, it's the same. If you do your online um, tithes and offerings, if you just establish how much of that you want to go to Jeff. So just, just trying to simplify that for you if, you if you want to set up that way. A lot of our missionaries receive extra support outside of this from church members on, on monthly. If you just let us know your intentions, we'll make sure your money gets where you wants it to go. Amen? Amen. Well, they probably, they ought to be through about racing some cars. I don't know. By now, they're probably letting Dale and the big boys race their cars. So they don't know what they got going on down there now. But, but um, you know, once the big boys start playing, they don't know how to stop it. But Father, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the reminder of who you are and whose church this is. We love you, God. You've been good to us. I ask you, Father, would you help us to be pleasing to you? Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.